Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm Ashton, and today, back by popular demand, we're going to be discussing a few more cruise ship disappearances. This is part three. Parts one and two are available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and it's episodes 17 and 41. Let's get into it. According to statistics compiled for Cruise Lines International Association, between 2009 and 2019, there were 212 overboard incidents around the world involving passengers and crew. And of those 212 incidents, only 48 people were rescued. Up first, today we're heading back to 2005 to discuss the disappearance of Hu Pham and Hu Tron. Hu Pham was 71 years old and Hu Tron was 67 years old at the time of their disappearance. The couple overcame many things throughout their lives. They were both born and raised in Vietnam. However, they were forced to flee their home country following the Vietnam War. They arrived in the United States where they started a new life together, settling in Southern California. The couple had been married for 49 years and were retired when, in 2005, they were given a seven-night cruise by their children for Mother's Day. On May 8th of 2005, Hu Pham and Hu Tron boarded the Carnival cruise ship Destiny and, along with their daughter and granddaughter and headed off on what was supposed to be a relaxing and enjoyable vacation. For the family, it turned out to be anything but that. On May 12th, 2005, the couple's daughter was looking for her parents on the ship after they didn't show up to a scheduled show. She couldn't find them anywhere. But on the deck of the ship, she came across her parents' shoes, along with the book she had been, her mother had been reading, and her purse. But there was no sign of her parents, Hufam and Hutron. The ship was between Bar- Barbados and Aruba at the time. The family notified the staff of their parents' disappearance, and a search began, albeit a slow one. According to the family, the ship continued sailing and it took four hours for cruise ship staff to notify the Coast Guard of the problem. The ship eventually turned around and returned to the location of the reported disappearance. However, this took almost 12 hours and the search for the missing couple was called off within 13 hours of their disappearance. Family members have since slammed the Carnival Cruise Line for the way they handled the couple's disappearance, saying of the staff, quote, they were more focused on planning the next day's shore activities in St. Martin than protecting crucial information and evidence pertaining to two of their missing passengers, our parents, end quote. The couple's son, Michael, claims that the Carnival Cruise Line was uncooperative following the disappearance of his parents. Carnival, of course, denies this, and Michael testified before Congress in 2006, urging tougher regulation of cruise ship safety practices. He refutes claims that his parents disappeared willingly or took their own lives, telling The Guardian, quote, they were two American citizens with no personal or financial problems, no serious health problems, living the happiest times of their lives, both vanished without a trace or witness, end quote. The couple had been planning a trip to read returned to Vietnam for the first time since fleeing. It just didn't make sense that they would disappear willingly. If you have any information about the disappearance of the sweet couple, Hugh Pham and Hugh Tron, please reach out to authorities. 
Next up, we're discussing the disappearance of a young woman named Marion Carver. This is a pretty well-known disappearance, and there is a lot of information about it. Some of the information I got for this episode was a from a news article in the Arizona Republic from 2005. It's an article titled Vanished at Sea, and it's written by Robert Anglin. Marion Carver was a 40-year-old former investment banker and poet from Cambridge, Massachusetts. She was living in Boston at the time of her disappearance in 2004. Marion had been divorced, and her 13-year-old daughter was staying with her father in England at the time. The two would reportedly speak on the phone daily when they were apart. Marion, unbeknownst to her family, had booked a seven-day Alaskan cruise, leaving from Seattle on August 27, 2004. Marion boarded a Royal Caribbean celebrity ship alone, prepared to write poems, enjoy her time. She reportedly loved to travel. She was adventurous, and it wasn't uncommon for her to take trips without telling her family. After she boarded the ship, one of the stewards, a man named Domingo Montero, recalled that she was relaxed, kind, and seemed to be looking forward to her vacation. She mentioned to him that she planned on going upstairs at a later time, but she didn't want to go to the dining room. And he suggested that maybe she should order room service the next day when she said the same thing. And then he brought her two sandwiches at her request. He claimed that she didn't seem to be upset or worried about anything at this time, and this is reportedly the last time anyone saw Marion Carver. It was August 28, 2004. The next morning, when Domingo checked in on Marion, her room was empty. Her bed had not been slept in. Her belongings were in the room, including a manila envelope and a large tip for the steward on the dresser which, of course, was common, but tips were normally left on the last day of the cruise, not the second or third day. He reported her missing when she never returned. He continued to report her missing for the next five days, but he was reportedly dismissed by his supervisor, and he claims that his supervisor told him to just do his job and forget about it. So... The cruise continued on, making stops in Juneau, Skagway, and Ketchikan, Alaska, and and in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, but Marion did not disembark in any of these places. The cruise ended on September 3rd, when the Mercury docked in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's not been established whether or not Marion got off the ship then. She didn't board her airplane flight back to Massachusetts, and she's never been heard from again. When the cruise ended, and there was still no sign of Marion, the steward again raised his concerns with his supervisor, who told him to box up Marion's personal belongings and bring them to his office. Her belongings were then put into a locker, aside from her clothing, which was quickly donated to charity. They didn't alert authorities. They didn't secure her room or the ship to preserve evidence. They didn't call the police or Marion's family. No one told her loved ones about her disappearance. They didn't even know that she had gone on a cruise to begin with. So, when Marion's daughter called her grandfather on September 1st, 2004, asking if he knew where her mother was, it came as a huge shock. 
Marianne and her daughter spoke every day, so if she wasn't communicating with her, something was definitely wrong. Marianne's parents, Kendall and Carol Carver, immediately began searching for their daughter. They started by calling Marianne's apartment in Cambridge, but they only got her answering machine. They began calling friends, relatives, anyone who knew Marion, but no one had heard from Marion, and no one knew where she was or where she might be. Two days later, Kendall and Carol called the Cambridge Police Department to check Marion's apartment, and again, there was no sign of her. The Carvers filed a missing persons report for their daughter a week later. A Cambridge police detective named Brian Branley was assigned to Marion's case, and he was able to access her bank records, which showed that she had purchased round-trip airfare and a ticket for the cru- a cruise on the Mercury. The cruise was set to leave on August 27th and return on September 3rd. This provided short-lived relief for her parents. Shortly after, Kendall was on the phone with Royal Caribbean asking about his daughter's whereabouts. Three days later, the company's risk manager got in touch with the worried father and offered him details that he had been waiting for. She confirmed that, yes, Marion had been on the cruise to Alaska, but she hadn't used her room after the second day and she left her belongings behind, which were donated and or put into storage. One item that was left behind was her purse, which contained computer disks and keys. Kendall asked the risk manager to send the contents of the disk to him via email, and it ended up being some of Marion's poems. In the meantime, Detective Branley was able to confirm that Marion had been on on board the Mercury, and he reached out to Royal Caribbean to encourage them to file a police report in Vancouver in case a crime had been committed. Marion had been missing for almost a month at this point, so things were becoming pretty dire, and the Carvers hired a a private investigator to try to find more information about their missing daughter. In November, investigator Tim Schmolder met with cruise officials for a tour of the cruise ship Mercury while it was docked. He only had a few hours on board because the crew was training that day. The steward, who was assigned to Marion's room at the time she was on the cruise, was now working on another ship, and the hotel manager was on vacation, so neither could be interviewed. Royal Caribbean's manager also refused to allow Tim to interview the security officer who was in charge of the surveillance tapes. Apparently, the tapes were only reviewed after an accident occurred, and they were only kept for a few weeks before being reused, so it was likely that by the time... By that time, the tapes from the time of Marion's cruise were already gone. But shady all around. Records on the ship confirmed that Marion didn't use her CPAS, which was like an onboard credit card and used as identification. She hadn't purchased anything. No drinks, no food, nothing. There was no record of Marion getting off the ship at any of the ports, although it was made known that the cruise, di- the cruise line didn't track passengers getting off in Vancouver. Marion's room was located on the panorama deck, which is more than 100 100 feet above the water. So although there was an ocean view from her room, the windows were bolted shut. So it's not likely that she could just easily jump out of there or been pushed from her room. But apparently it was a very short walk to the stairs and an elevator that led to an open air deck. 
this secluded spot seemed to Tim, the investigator, like a prime spot for someone to go overboard easily without being detected, either willingly or through an act of violence. This report brought more questions and answers for Marion's parents, Kendall and Carol. Then finally, in January, two Royal Caribbean employees testified in a phone deposition, one being the steward who was assigned to Marion's room. This is the point when the Carvers found out that crew staff were aware that Marion was dis- was missing as early as the second day of the cruise, and no one did anything about it. The steward, Domingo Montero, claimed that he tried to report Marion's disappearance to his supervisor on the second day, but was ignored. On the evening of the second day, when Domingo returned to Marion's room and noticed that the room remained untouched, he turned the bed down as, no- as normal and placed a chocolate on the pillow as he did every other day. And when the room remained empty, he continued to report the missing woman to his supervisor. The final day, when Marion still hadn't appeared, her belongings were packed up and stored or donated. Domingo asked his supervisor if he should report the missing woman to authorities, and the supervisor reportedly told him that they would report it. But they never did. The supervisor was eventually fired for a, quote, poor performance because of the event. But to Marion's parents, it seemed like this was Royal Caribbean's attempt to cover up any wrongdoing on their part. Kendall, Marion's father, reached out to Royal Caribbean once again, begging for information about Marion's disappearance. Documents, something. What they sent was a copy of the security report about Marion's disappearance, which noted that company regulations had been violated. Marion's disappearance should have absolutely been reported, but it was and it was a policy that the ship's captain, the bridge, and the security office be notified of any passenger disappearance. Marion's belongings should have never been removed either. The policy states that the ship's security must secure the scene of an incident and the, the area must remain untouched, which, of course, didn't happen. The cruise line eventually filed a missing persons report for Marion along with the FBI. They did none of this on their own, though, which is ridiculous. In March of 2005, the family gathered at the United Methodist Church in Paradise Valley to remember Marion. Her poems were put to music and there were pictures of her, but they refused to call it a memorial. Later that year, after receiving essentially no help from Royal Caribbean, or really anyone, the Carvers filed a lawsuit against Royal Caribbean and the response they received was shocking. The cruise line released a statement that read, quote, Mrs. Carver had severe emotional problems, had attempted suicide before, and appears to have committed suicide on our ship. The death of Marion Carver is a horrible tragedy, but regrettably, there is very little a cruise line or a resort or a hotel can do to prevent someone from committing suicide, end quote. Wow, guys. So very heartfelt, heartfelt and kind of you. The Carvers won the lawsuit, but of course it didn't fix the real problem. Marion was still missing. Kendall and Carol had spent over $75,000 in the search for their missing daughter with little to show for it. In 2006, Kendall Carver founded International Cruise Victims Incorporated, which is a source that I've used in each of the cruise ship disappearance episodes. Unfortunately, Kendall passed away in 2019 without learning the truth about his daughter's disappearance. But I'm sure it would mean a lot to the family if you had any information and you shared that with authorities. 
maybe she's still alive out there. I hope one day we're able to figure this one out. And finally, I wanted to share a current event, a recent disappearance that you may have heard about or seen in your news feeds on social media. I came across a post about it in one of the true crime Facebook groups that I'm in. The story involves a man named Kevin McGrath. He was on a three-day carnival cruise to the Bahamas with family members to celebrate his father's 60th birthday over Labor Day weekend last month. Cell phone footage shows Kevin dancing to live music on Sunday, September 3rd. He was last seen by his brother Andre at around 2 a.m. early Monday morning, and his key card was used to enter his room around 3.30 a.m., When the rest of the family gathered for breakfast at 7.30 that morning, Kevin was nowhere to be found. The family began to search for him and reported him missing to ship personnel. A search of the ship was conducted, but Kevin couldn't be found anywhere. The overboard detection system never went off, and Kevin wasn't accounted for during the debarkation process. The Coast Guard searched 3,300 square nautical miles with helicopters for over 80 hours, but there was no sign of Kevin, and the search was suspended. His families insisted that this isn't like him and something isn't right with the situation. But since his disappearance, some interesting information has come out. Kevin was on probation at the time of his disappearance for a 2022 aggravated assault in Tennessee when he threatened to kill his wife and their children. He moved to Florida following the event, and he reportedly did not get permission to go on the cruise. So definitely interesting that he vanished on this cruise. Could be unrelated, of course, but still makes you think. He hasn't been seen since, and his family is still fighting to get more information on his whereabouts. So if you have any information to share, if you've seen Kevin, definitely let authorities know. And that's going to do it for part three of Cruise Ship Disappearances. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you want a part four, let me know and I'll work on that. The sources for today's episode will be listed on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. I will link the blog post in the show notes for you. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every week. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head over to Patreon. You'll have access to the exclusive Patreon-only episodes, early and ad-free access to the regular episodes, plus a lot more. So head over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media if you haven't already at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, subscribe on YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review wherever you listen. It really helps support the show. And that's going to do it. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. And we'll see you soon. Bye.